Now, um, you might be like me. I have some emotional attachments to food. Uh, there are some foods in my life that I look at, and it brings up either a memory or some kind of, of strong feeling, both positive or negative. Um, let's, let's play a little game. I'll throw a food out, and I just want you to throw back at me what kind of emotion you have with it, okay? If I say the word like hot dog, you say... Baseball. Good Americans right there. I appreciate that. Yeah. Growing up, uh, going to Bush Stadium and living outside of St. Louis, um, I really only enjoy hot dogs when I'm at Bush Stadium or I'm camping, right? Like, like a hot dog on a Thursday is like, oh, okay, I guess. But if I'm at Bush Stadium, I'm going to buy that $14 hot dog and it's going to be delicious, right? Um, what, if I say, what if I say turkey? What kind of emotions come into mind? Thanksgiving, sleeping, I'm a big fan of both Thanksgiving, turkey, and napping. When I think of turkey, I think of taking a nap in my grandma's basement where it smells like must, like most basements do, and I love that. That's comfort to me. I remember that. That's a warm, fuzzy feeling. All right, here's another, here's another food. How about uh, moons over my hammy? No emotional attachment to moons over my hammy? Denny's. Okay, Denny's. All right, well, I, I've got... Um, I've got I've got some strong emotional ties to Moons Over My Hammy. A long time ago, uh, in between my eighth grade and freshman year, my mom's like, hey, we should go out to dinner. And I'm like, okay, you're my mom. I was hoping for dinner anyway. That's great. So she takes me to Denny's, and I get Moons Over My Hammy. And I don't think I have ever gotten anything or will ever get anything at Denny's besides Moons Over My Hammy. It's like the perfect, delicious breakfast meal, right? So I'm eating my, my greasy moons over my hammy, and my mom looks at me, and she goes, hey, John, life's going to change. Things are going to get different. I accepted a job in San Antonio, Texas. And so growing up in St. Louis, I was there all my life. I mean, I was in one, one house all my life until my eighth grade. Uh, and then she's like, ha, ha, let's go to San Antonio. And I'm like, I don't even know where San Antonio is. I barely know where Texas is. I wasn't a great student, but that's cool. Um, and so that conversation has kind of solidified in my mind, this moon's over my hammy, and, and, and she, she got a promotion, and she had the opportunity to go to San Antonio to, to lead up a new team. Uh, she was in uh, insurance, Warsaw, which I don't believe is in existence anymore. That comes later in the story. And so we do, we pack up the dog, we pack up the cat, and we just, mom and I, uh, after parents got divorced, my sister went to college. So we moved to San Antonio the summer, uh, or just a couple weeks before high school, uh, my high school career. Now, I don't know if you could picture this, but John Muffler was a strapping young lad in his, his freshman year. I was maybe 6'3 and 104 pounds of raw muscle, okay? I was not, not it was awkward. It was rough, right? Um, so growing up in St. Louis, the outskirts of St. Louis, I grew up in a fairly kind of diverse situation. We uh, had two or three little towns kind of pour into one school system, and that school system, it was about 50-50. It was 50% Anglo or pigment impaired, like I would like to say, um, and 50% African-American, Hispanic, uh, a lot of different mixtures. So it was, to be honest, I, I really enjoyed it. We, I had lots of friends of a rainbow of flavors. It was phenomenal. It was a great time. I went down to San Antonio and I started a high school of 4,000 people, and it was 98% Hispanic. Totally fine, except for if you're 6'3 and 104 pounds. And that was the very first time I've ever felt like an outcast. And I'm at the 41-year-old John Muffler looks back and says, man, that was valuable. I needed that. Because I have only lived in a place where I have felt comfortable, that I have felt that I fit in. That was really hard for me. 
luckily or unluckily, Wausau went belly up and mom had to go find a different job. And it's hilarious. She found the exact same job at the place that she worked. And we've lived about five or six houses away from where we used to live. So literally, it was just like a blip in the radar. It was crazy. I moved basically the same street, just five houses down. But I remember being an outcast. I did not fit in. I don't know if I tried well. I was probably so much of a goober at that time. People didn't really want to hang out with me. But for those eight or nine months, I was an outcast. I couldn't fit in. I didn't find circles. I couldn't find any cliques. Um, I, 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 I had issues, and it hurt. Like, to this day, I can still like, oh, it's a sermon, blah, blah, blah. But like afterward, I still feel that emptiness inside of like, I, I was on the outside looking in, and I had a very difficult time, and I never really truly fit in there right? That's not a happy feeling. Matter of fact, I would imagine some of you have some of the same feelings in different areas. Um, if you fly, you probably, like me, hate that curtain that, like, you know, from first class, they're like, ha-ha, right? Or like the stewardess looks at you like, if you would have worked a little harder, you could be up here. And they just close the curtain, right? Don't you hate that? Like you've bought a ticket, you're walking by these people, and you're like, hey, how you doing? And they're all like champagne and cigars and all that kind of fun stuff. And you're walking back with the 700 other people, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they flip that curtain, and you're like, oh, I, I'm less valuable than those people. And it's a, it's a feeling. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's a feeling. Um, what really gets me is the bathroom. Um, there's like one bathroom for the 700 people back here, and there's one restroom for like, you know, the, the 10 people up here, and they're like, right? And that hurts your feeling to be left out? Did you hurt? Like, you walk past that, and you're like, oh, that's kind of sad. Uh, matter of fact, I had a buddy in Phoenix. Uh, I was on staff at a church uh, with Stacy, my wife. And I had a really cool coworker. Her name was Rhea, one of the youth ministers down there, a phenomenal human being, a great youth minister. Um, and basically, she was an extreme introvert. And there is no right or wrong personality. I don't care if you're an extrovert or an introvert. She was a phenomenal minister, but she, you know, didn't like people, which is interesting. <laughs> when you love God and love others, she's like, I love God, right? So her, her, um, her motto was, I want to be invited to the party, but I will never go to that party, right? She just always wanted to feel like that she was invited, that she was a part of something, but she didn't want to hang out with human beings. She was great at her job, but that as soon as she kind of like left the church or left that uh, situation, she's like, I don't want to deal with human beings. We've all found ourselves in places where we have felt left out and it hurts and so we kind of strive for that insider information. We want to be inside. We want to be in the circle. We want to be in the clique. We want to feel like we belong. And that's what we're kind of addressing today. This idea of it hurts and it feels really rough being an outsider. Um, we're continuing our series on Love Thy Neighbor. Um, and I, I just cannot get over this Love Thy Neighbor means, meaning that we love our neighbors well. It is one thing to pick up your neighbor's mail if it's in your mailbox and walk it over and shove it in their mailbox and then run away. That's being weird, but that's at least polite, right? I don't, wouldn't call that love. Like if you see your neighbor's house on fire, a nice thing to do would be call 911. To love them well, you would call 911 as you're running toward there, screaming at them to get out of the house. Does that make a difference? Sometimes uh, we misunderstand love as being just polite. And I'm for being polite. It's a kind thing to do. But in this series, we're trying to figure out how do we love our neighbor well? 
So we're looking at two gentlemen this morning in Scripture. Uh, one, Cornelius, uh, which is a great name, by the way, a name you don't n- normally hear in our culture, but I think we need to start naming our kids Cornelius. Um, and the second one is Peter. And I love what God does. He uses an outsider like Cornelius to let an insider understand what truly is important in God's mind. So we're going to continue in our our series by looking at Cornelius, looking at Peter, and walking through what they say and then what they did. So we're going to start here at Acts 10, 1 through 5, if you want to bust out your phones, your tablets, or you can cheat, and it's right behind me. Acts 10, uh, uh, 1 through 5. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius' reaction, if you saw an angel or a vision, would be, stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. First of all, let's look at who this Cornelius is, and then we can try to figure out how how we can understand his response to a vision. Uh, First of all, he's a Gentile Roman commander from the Italian descent. All of these things would make him an enemy in the, in the Jewish people's eyes. Number one, we have to remember at this time, uh, Rome has invaded Israel and is now the seat of power. Let's just for a second pretend that Canada invades the United States, right? No one laughs? Wow, I thought it'd be funny, but that's okay. So anyway, Canada comes down uh, and invades us and just kind of takes hold of the Amer- uh, United States. This morning, there would be a horse with a dude in red on the back, he'd roll, you know, mounted police or whatever, just making sure we would be doing what we'd be doing and not, you know, making upset or not upsetting Canada. We would look at that royal mounted police over back there with disdain. We would say, how dare you be in our country? How dare you force us to follow your customs? How dare you make us pay taxes to whomever is in control of Canada nowadays, right? How dare you? This is basically, uh, Cornelius is an enemy of everything that Jews would look at. Gentile, outside of God's family. Roman, an impressor, somebody who's come and basically stealing their land and their money. Um, even a part of the, uh, the, the Roman guard, which means that he himself and the people under him probably pushed around and if not ended lives of Jews. This is a man that we, or the Jews, would consider an enemy. But we also see something very crazy about Cornelius. He is spiritually curious. He is looking into who God is. It says that he prayed, that he led his family to an understanding of who God is and trying to understand and worship God. An angel comes to him and says, listen, God has seen what you're trying to do, and that is awesome. We want you to send for a man named Peter. He's hanging out in Joppa. Bring Peter back here, and we want you, God says, we want you to listen to what Peter has to say. And he immediately does it. He obeys. Again, an angel comes in front of me. My first reaction is, whoa, what's going on here? I'm afraid. This is weird. Am I going crazy? My second reaction is, yes. How can I help you? Right? So that's what he says. So he sends a couple of his servants uh, and an armed escort. He was not messing around some people that he trusted, and a guy with a big sword to go get Peter and Joppa. 
right? So that's kind of where and who uh, uh, Cornelius is and how he responds to it. Um, God calls Cornelius uh, to action in this vision, and like the interaction between Jesus and Saul, we see God using an outsider in his plans. Isn't it neat that God does what he needs to do with whomever he wants to glorify him in this world? He doesn't just use Christians. He uses anyone. He uses males, females. It doesn't matter what spectrum of brown we might happen to be. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our name is. It doesn't matter what we drove here today in. God can use anyone he wants to be so that he can be glorified in this world. So here we go. Uh, Acts 10, 10 through 16. And this is where we see kind of the flip side of that coin. Let's figure out where Peter is and what he's doing. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. It was about lunchtime. And he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Gentlemen, isn't this phenomenal? Like, same thing 2,000 years ago. I'm hungry. I'm going to take a nap first. This is phenomenal, right? I relate with Peter. Now, trance can be translated dream state, daydream, nightmare, trance, whatever that is. When we hear the word trance, it's very off-putting. But to be very honest, again, this is a vision from God to get his attention. Uh, he saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. I automatically think of like a picnic blanket. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. If you're a vegetarian, I apologize. This is offensive. Um, Surely not, Lord, Peter replies. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I am a good Jew. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter like thumping his chest literally at God in a vision like, oh, I would never do such a thing. Again, I can relate with him. The hubris is not, not great. The voice spoke uh, to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times. And immediately she was taken back to heaven. I love this. Gentlemen, has your wife ever had to bounce you off the head three times to get you to understand something important? Or is that just me? Sometimes our egos are so inflated that we think we know what's going on. I love how Peter looks at God and be like, no, I'm a good Jew. I would never eat that. I'm never eating shrimp cocktails. That's not my thing. And God goes, it doesn't matter what your opinion is, Peter. I'm God. If I make something clean, it's clean. I love that. I love that I can look at Peter and say, he's a goober. He is messed up, just like me. And Jesus loves him, and he also loves me. Because sometimes in life, sometimes my opinions supersede what God is screaming at me in Scripture. Have you ever been there? Where you're like, oh, man, I think this way. Better not read that Scripture. That might just kind of mess me up, right? But Peter's like, no, 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 you've told me. And God's like, no, it doesn't matter what you think, Peter. It doesn't matter what your perspective is, Peter. It doesn't matter what your priorities are, Peter. If I've made something clean, if I've made something worthy, then it doesn't matter what your opinion is, Peter. Three times. So I can relate, sadly, to Peter's problem. Peter is an apostle of Christ, leader in the early church. He was quick to act and speak and to put his foot in his mouth. Now, Peter's upbringing uh, would put him in a situation where there was some concrete thought processes. As a Jew, he would say, there is clean and unclean in this world. There are clean food that I can't eat, 
and there are unclean food that I can't. Basically, hey, if you bring your home with you on your back, it's unclean. Snails, shrimp, stuff like that. Um, lobsters, basically bugs of the underneath world, right, of the water world, gross, don't do it. Exoskeletons, not a good thing. There was clean and unclean. You can have steak, no shrimp cocktails, right? So he's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Jew of Jews, going to be a good boy. He would also think there are people that are in God's families, in God's family, Jews, and then there are enemies of God, period. Two, there was a big, gigantic, solid line. You were a Jew and you loved God. You were in God's family. I hate you. God hates you. You're an enemy of God. So where do you think he would put Cornelius in that system? In that system of thinking for years and decades, there are friends and family of God, and then there are outsiders. He would view Cornelius as an outsider. He would view Cornelius as somebody that is not allowed in that circle. He is unworthy to be God's family. He is unclean beyond measure because he's a Gentile, like you and I. He's an outsider from a different country, like you and I. We were all probably raised somewhere around here, not Jerusalem. Just going to point that out, probably, right? Um, he would look at Cornelius like Peter would look at you or I. You're not the right religion, you're not the right color, and you're not the right, you're not from the right family. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Peter, the guy that hung out with Jesus for years, Peter who saw Jesus resurrected from the grave, Peter would look at you and I and say, obviously an enemy of God. This is 10 years after Jesus popped up from the grave with the power of the Holy Spirit and said, go to every nation, preach and teach Jesus Christ and love them well. Ten years after Jesus says that to Peter, guess where we find Peter? In the outskirts of Jerusalem, on a rooftop having lunch. He didn't make it far in ten years. Peter would look at Cornelius and say he's an outsider. So of course, these men now walking to Joppa, trying to get Peter's attention, without this vision, I think Peter would have reacted, no thanks, pass. I'm not going to hang out with you. But here's what actually does happen. These men came to him, knocked on the door. He said, yes, I will go with you. I think this vision might have something to do with this. And I love this. Here we see this in Acts 10, 27 to 29. Well, while talking to them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people that are now at Cornelius' house or state or wherever. I found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. Again, an enemy of God. That's how they kind of port that out there. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, it came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter finally gets it. Just like you and I. Sometimes it takes some time, right? Sometimes maybe three or four times of being reminded, being reminded. Peter walks into what Everybody, every Jewish good little boy or girl would say would be the enemy of God, the enemy of the Jews, the enemy of Israel. He walks into that place and says, God has shown me something very strange, and I'm starting to understand that there is not just a correlation of clean and unclean food, but there's a, there's a correlation between people, too. And for decades, this bridge has been being, or this wall is being built between 
God's people and outsiders, God's people and Gentiles, God's people and outsiders that they didn't even want inside. They kept pushing them away. And Peter says, oh, okay, I'm here. God told me a couple times, but I'm here. Can I ask what you want of me? And the story kind of goes on a little bit longer, but Cornelius and his house and his servants and his kids and his family and his neighbors sit down and they ask him about Jesus. Change happens overnight. Ladies and gentlemen, like, if you're anything like me, I sometimes struggle with this. It's easy with the food. I mean, I like food. It's easy to say there's no unclean food. I'll eat anything. For crying out loud, I'll eat anything out of a plastic wrapper. I don't care what the label is. I'll eat it. But I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I look at other people and think, man, they are just not good enough for God. Sometimes I just think, oh, man, if they can just get their act together, maybe God would love them. Oh, my goodness, how wrong am I? We need to be very careful that we are not building walls, putting people in categories that say you are unworthy because of what you look like, what your religion is, where you're from, what you drove, what your last name is, what your bank account looks like. We need to take a great lesson from Peter and Cornelius that God demands us to love other people well. And that is hard to do. There are some people that I don't like. I've got a microphone. Here we go. Okay? It is difficult for me to like you if you hurt my kids. I've got what seems to be 700 little people in my house now. I think we're, we just basically have a home for cute little girls. They're everywhere. In my neighborhood, there's lots of kids running around. There's lots of parents. We get along with some. We don't get along with some because, you know, life goes on, right? But man, I tell you what, it is difficult for me to love you well if you hurt my kids. If you exclude my kids, if you make fun of my kids, there is a few people on my kid's bus I would like to see kicked off that bus doing 55 miles an hour, okay? That's not very ministry-like, so I can't do that, right? It is so easy for me to love you if you love my kids. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. It is so easy for me to say, man, you've invested in my girls, you've loved my kids, You've set them up for success. You've given them something maybe that I can't, and I can trust you. Man, (laughs) I will move heaven and earth. It's easy for me to love that. Can you imagine that same principle in God's eyes? Can you imagine how easy it is for God to love us when we love his kids well? And how difficult it is to love his creation when we do nothing but destroy his children. His children can be older and younger and all everything in between. But I struggle with that. Do you? So we're going to wrap this up. We're going to take a couple minutes just to look at, well, what do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we love people that we don't connect with well? Because to be honest, it's easy to hang out with other Christians. It's easy to hang out with other people that maybe look like you, definitely speak your same language. It's easy. There's kind of a gravitational pull that you kind of hang out with people that you kind of have the same values with, and that's fine. But we need to do better than just hanging out with those people. So what are some things that we might be holding us back from influencing outsiders for Christ? Number one, judgment. Um, Like I said, it is easy to look at somebody and say, well, since you don't play the Christian game, you're not worthy. Christians love the judgmental police. We love looking at other people and saying, ah, what you're wearing is not appropriate. Hey, what you just said, not very nice. Hey, whatever that action, whatever chemical you're putting in your body, it's not cool. But isn't it crazy 
that we would judge somebody based on the rules we're playing of a game that they don't even understand about. Can you imagine that? They don't even know the rules. They don't even know that they're playing this game. And we judge them based that, well, you're not playing the same exact rules of Christianity. Isn't that nuts? 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? How dare we play the morality police and look at other people and say, because you don't play the same game I play, you're not worthy. Number two, the second one is sometimes it's just difficult to connect with outsiders. Our, our circles are not easily expanded to other people. Uh, 20 years in student ministries, um, I've combated cliques forever, unsuccessfully. And I've just come to realize in the last five or six years that I'm fine with cliques. I think cliques are great, as long as they're porous. Because to be honest, guess where you're sitting? You're sitting in a clique. You're in a church on a Sunday morning. Some people would view us and say, well, I don't know about that. As long as we're porous, I'm fine with it. So I don't care if you're a parent and you're hanging out with other parents. As long as you allow other parents to come in and out, it's great. I don't care if you're a woodworker and you're like, oh, just like the old school and you rip wood apart. That's great. As long as you're porous, you hang out in an affinity group of uh, like-minded passion. That's totally great. Just be porous. Be careful that you're not hanging around just Christians. Last one is the fear of rejection. It is difficult to ask somebody, hey, would you like to have coffee with me? I would love to tell you about my faith in Christ. That's hard. Hey, man, I'm a youth minister, and that's hard. I get it. I have conversations with my own family, extended family, moms, sisters, fathers, all those kind of people. I'm like, hey, you know, try to bring up faith, and they look at me, and they shake their head like, shut up. Pat me on the head and move on. It's hard. Rejection hurts. No one wants to feel like they're an outsider. But guys, if we don't continually ask and invite outsiders to become insiders, their rejection is ultimate. We only have so much time to share the love of Jesus Christ well. So, my prayer, my hope, is this. Acts 15, 19 says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. My hope and my prayer for not only John Muffler, but for Sherwood Oaks these next couple weeks, summer, is that we do everything we can to break down walls that maybe you and I have grown up with that separate some people from others, from the prejudices we have for some lifestyles than others, that we would make it as easy as possible as outsiders, people that don't understand that God knows them, to bring them in and to share, you know what, I'm just as broken as everybody else in this room, if not more, but I know that Jesus loves me because of the cross. I know that Jesus loves me because of his great and powerful mercy in my life. Not because I've earned it, paid for it, bargained, or you know, blackmailed anybody for it. We can bring outsiders to family. We can have family members that I feel like we can influence our neighbors well. We can love our neighbors well. That's my hope and that's my prayer for today. That we would take a page from Peter and Cornelius and say there is no right or wrong people. There are just people that are either in the family of God or people that we need to jump, run, pursue, chase after to let them know that they are invited, that they are wanted, and they are needed in the family of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful, Lord, that as a Gentile myself, that you invited me and my wife and my kids and the people in my neighborhood, that 
I was once an enemy of God. I was once an outsider, but through Jesus Christ, now I and we have this great opportunity to follow after Jesus Christ. Not because we are perfect, but because he is perfect. Not because we've done something right, but because he has just simply loved us so well. Help us break down barriers, destroy walls that might hinder outsiders, people that don't know the great beauty of Jesus Christ so they can be invited in, so they can be a part of this dysfunctional family under Jesus Christ, that we can be like. We thank Christ that creates disciples that creates disciples. Father, we thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the people here. Give them the power through the Holy Spirit to influence and love their neighbors well this week. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.